I'm Eugene Kim, and I welcome you to the Four Prompts on Death podcast, where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Caitlin Gray. Caitlin is a 31-year-old mother, teacher, and historian. I went to high school with her, and she popped up on my radar this past Mother's Day due to a heartfelt post on social media. During this conversation, we discussed the loss of her daughter in utero this past April, her evolving spirituality from Catholicism to mediumship and shamanic meditative practices, and the surprise of discovering a new half-brother. Before we talk more about Caitlin, and this, this is a really great conversation. I know I always say that, but it is a really great conversation. Uh, before we talk more about that, I want to talk about my uh, weekly reflections on medical education. These you can find over at my website, eugeneh.kim. That's E-U-G-E-N-E-H dot K-I-M. Or you can search on Amazon for physician education. It'll be the first thing that pops up. Um, and so, I've you know, little backstory, I've written weekly reflections from on my medical education from the very first anatomy lab of medical school to now about halfway through my intern or first year of residency. So about four and a half years of ongoing writing. And so on November 24th, 2019, I published On Doctoring as a Neurologist. This week I reflected on an accidental goals of care conversation while rotating on the neurology service. I developed an appreciation for the challenges that face neurologists on a daily basis, and I leave feeling a bit more like a doctor. And then more recently, on December 1st, 2019, I published On the First Year, or Baby Chronicles, Part 10. This week I reflected on the first year of my son's life, the pregnancy, the birth, then the year of growth and change. So much to reflect upon, so little dedicated time to do so. The, this baby interrupted my writing many times, so this will have to do. So again, you can go to my website, eugeneh.kim. There you can find all of my uh, all of the written reflections in totality there available for free. Or you can go to Amazon, like I said, to get the ebook if you like that, Kindle version. Or you can get a published paperback version if you're into that. Um, and it's all under the umbrella of On the Education of a Physician. And also there you can find all of the uh, podcasts for this, uh, all the interviews for this podcast um, there as well. So back to Caitlin. Caitlin is... Human, a spirit of some kind, a wife, a sister, a daughter, a mother, a teacher, patient, thoughtful, spiritual, and kind. Before Caitlin dies, she wants to be able to to be able to make sure that the people she loves knows that undeniably, and to figure out what she looks like after this particular journey. When Caitlin dies, she wants to be aware some of the weight that come that can come with the death of someone doesn't stay with the people she loves for too long. After Caitlin dies, she wants her family to be at peace, her story to be remembered, and people to find meaning in her life. And in conclusion, Caitlin says, the more you can connect with people, the easier it can be to find meaning. And sometimes there is no meaning, and that's okay. I agree, Caitlin. So, like I said, this was a great conversation. Uh, This was... As I mentioned in the intro, 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 uh, Caitlin lost her daughter back in April of this year, 2019. Um, I forget exactly when I recorded this interview. I mentioned it, you know, you'll hear it in a hot second when we roll into the real interview. But I think it was in maybe August or July. Um, so it was a few months afterwards. And when she, the post that I saw on social media was on Mother's Day, and her talking about how she feels how how she is a mother, 
despite not having a child. And that is the crux of this whole interview, is this, um, of this whole experience of uh, wanting to become pregnant and uh, having a child. You know, I don't want to go too into it because the way that it unfolds in the interview is very beautiful. And, um, you know, even hearing it, you know, to do all these show notes again got me choked up a number of times because it is, um, it's very raw. You can hear how raw it is for her. It had not even been uh, a full six months for her, not even a full year. Um, she hadn't even passed the due date of the child. Um, it's a really great conversation. Uh, miscarriages are something that happen. Um, you know, the first first trimester miscarriages happen so frequently, but they do they are very rarely talked about. Um, second trimester, uh, you know, terminations are a whole different subject. They are, you know, this is a very there's the intersection of politics, of medical, and of spirituality in her. Um, you know, she when when they found out about her, you know the congenital malformations of her child um, was at a point where it was just barely able to have a legal termination in another state. She couldn't even do it in her home state. It's just whole. It's this whole thing, and um, I understand that listeners may have you know various opinions, but I also know that. Um, you probably, if you listen to this thing, you're probably willing to hear somebody's perspective, even if you might not just, you know, might not agree with the choices that they made. But understand that the, you know, this was a hard decision. I would not want to wish this on anyone else. And, um, you know, I hear there, there are certain phrases that she used that just told me about how much um, this, you know, totally rocked her world. Uh, you know, a corollary that I like to draw is, you know, when when talking about suicide, you know, an equally fraught subject, people generally say somebody committed suicide. And what I have learned is that uh, to use that word commit suicide is sort of almost like you saying like the committed murder. Um, it's sort of like legalizing it and turning it into a crime versus somebody completed suicide. Um, and, you know, so that is something that I have, uh, you know, turned in my lexicon, changing it, my vocabulary, to say, like, has anyone in your family completed suicide? Um, to be a little bit more respectful in that way. And then, uh, in, in, to, you know, bringing this back to Caitlin, uh, what she, I remember the, what she said was, and you, you might hear it, is uh, she, you know, she has a big family and she's the only sibling that does not have a living child. And that's such a, uh, it's, so, it's so tough because you can hear like how particular, you know, she is a mother. She had a, ch and, and that's the thing about like being a, you know, and we, when we go into this during the conversation is that like for, for the father is so different because it's such a, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I wrote about this actually on the on my birthday post for Junsu is that uh, on on June's birthday uh, Mackenzie became a went from a woman to a mother Junsu uh, went from this fetus to a living boy in the world and I stayed largely the same and it's such a weird thing and uh, for women to as you know motherhood is such this weird nebulous cloud and when does somebody become a mother is it when the when they can hold their child if somebody's child dies during during birth are they not a mother it's 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 this weird thing and so uh it's i don't know this uh, this was such a great conversation. Um, there were a lot of aspects that I did not expect, like the surprise brother. Um, I did not expect her uh, 
very interesting journey of through spirituality to where she is now, which is still a very nebulous thing and, and very much clouded by her recent journey. Um, but I also am very excited to check in with Caitlin in maybe a couple years, a year, however long, um, you know, to, to where she's on the other side of this, or maybe she's been able to have you know have a living child and um, been able to kind of go through this journey again but with a ho- you know hopefully a different outcome and just what that means and you know hearing about all these secret Facebook groups of parents who had to terminate a wanted pregnancy it's just that's that that alone is just a very challenging thing to hear or even imagine just like all these people coming together who can't uh, commiserate in public because it's such a tough thing to talk about um, you know uh, she 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 mentions how she didn't even realize that she was having an abortion until um, she googled her doctor's name her ob guy's name and saw her at like the top of a abortion doctor hit list um and she didn't and that's when it when that realization sunk in about what was it's just this whole you know there's so much in this interview um and i'm just really glad that caitlin was willing to let me to let me you know kind of bring her story out because it's great. I, uh, this is definitely going to be a conversation that I listen to again. And I hope, uh, like I said, to listen to talk with her uh, a couple, at least a couple more times um, and checking in with her as she goes through motherhood and uh, all this wackiness that goes with, you know, children. I don't know. Anyway, I hope you're, you're fine with me rambling and you're hope, hopefully uh, 100% ready to listen to a really great conversation with Caitlin Gray on death. It is July 27th, 2019. I'm sitting here in my Orfield, Pennsylvania home, and Caitlin Gray is sitting in her Dover, New Hampshire home, and we're going to be talking about death through the four prompts. Caitlin, what are the four prompts? The four prompts are I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. Excellent. And how do you finish that first prompt of I am? I have been thinking about this for weeks. Um, <laughs> so I could be like, I, I am, um, I'm human. I am um, I'm a spirit of some kind. I also like identify with the roles I play in life, but I also realize that they're not, um, permanent so in this moment um i am a wife a sister a daughter a mother um i'm a teacher i but i also know those things aren't guaranteed all the time and i don't play those roles in every moment so um yeah so that's like where my head's been at with that prompt and um but then there's like other characteristics that I have. I am, um, I'm patient, I'm thoughtful, I'm spiritual, I'm, um, you know, I, I'm kind, I think of others. There's all those things. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot to dig into. Um, let's start uh, with, uh, did you have a spiritual or religious upbringing to your childhood? I did. Um, I was raised Catholic and, Mm -hmm. um, Roman Catholic. 
went to church every Sunday. My mom brought Lifesavers so we could get through mass. Um, <laughs> and then there's always a frosted donut at the end because store 24 used to have a little Dunkin' Donuts bin in it. Um, and yeah, so I was, I was baptized. I had my first communion. Um, I still resonate with some of the rituals, but they're the more personal ones, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point. Um, and then when I got to be about 13, I think all of the, I mean, 13 year olds are super like anti whatever. Um, <laughs> Cause they're just trying to figure themselves out. And, um, and I wasn't really that way, but when we learned that priests were molesting young boys and that was all coming out like out of Boston and everything, um, mm -hmm. that didn't feel right. Both of my parents were educators as well. Um, I already had two nieces by that point. Um, and it just felt so hypocritical and, um, and I follow like guidelines that are given to me. So it did not feel right to continue practicing something that I knew that the leaders were not all able to hold each other accountable. Um, and so we, I broke away from it. My mother also broke away from it. And, um, and then after high school, I lost my grandparents, my mother's parents and, um, and my mom and I started our own spiritual thing. Uh, I'm very close with my mother. And um, and she was really struggling after my grandfather passed. And um, a friend of hers asked her to go see a medium. And she's like, all right, we'll see what happens. And I guess she was blown out of the water. I wasn't there for that. Um, and so she came home and she's telling me all this. and. You know, I've always, um, like, in school when we learned about, like, other religions have been super interested. Um, I think I take bits and pieces from different things. And um, so I'm, like, open, and I was at the time, but kind of like, okay, well, she's, like, I know she's also really missing her dad. And um, then I went to see Jonathan Edward, who's, like, a super famous um medium but he lives in Newmarket and he's doing a small thing nearby um at the town right near us for those who don't know um mm -hmm. and he just like picked up on stuff that was like okay like no one else on planet earth knows that my grandmother's cousin Augustus Prue was called Tegus like he got Tegus <laughs> um which is like French for a little us um, <laughs> and so yeah so then we started um going to these classes to learn about being more aware and more open spiritually um and so i have practiced forms of mediumship or um psychic readings and um and it's the weirdest thing. You, you just get into the space and then you say what you feel or see uh, in your mind's eye. And then someone like 
completely connects with it and you're like, really? I feel like I'm making this up, but the more and more it happens, it's like, okay, that's really okay. There has to be an answer for this. And um, yeah, and since then, uh, it's been um, just a lot of learning and reading and um, my mom now has a spiritual center in Rollinsford, New Hampshire, and they do readings and healings. And she is also part Native American. So she um, has been trained as a native shaman. Um, and so I've received healings in that way. So yeah, my spiritual journey has been long and um, yeah, I might have gone on there for a while, but <laughs> yeah. So it sounds, yeah, it sounds like there's a, an interesting, like, uh, like story in terms of like the, the faith that you're brought into the mm-hmm. disillusionment with that faith and then the transition to find something else. And then you kind of like explore it pretty significantly. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say maybe the, for me personally, um, I haven't been like, as like in it. Um, or I hadn't been um, for like maybe four years. Um, I I uh, I lost a student to terminal brain cancer um, three or four years ago, and he and I were extremely close, and that's a whole story. Um, but after that, it was really hard for me to um, sort of practice the spirituality we had found. Um, in a group setting. So it's become much more like to myself, more meditating, journeying on my own um, without assistance of others, just because it just got more personal, I think, for me. Um, What do you mean by that? um, When you're being read by someone, well, at least in the ways that we were like, so I was like going to like these practice groups and so these people meet once a week or twice a week and they practice their connection with each other. Um, Sometimes you bring in other sitters, but the things that are shared are extremely validating, but also extremely personal. And I didn't want to like continue the conversations further than the readings. And when you're in that group setting, it can sometimes become like very quickly way more intimate than you want it to be Mm -hmm. and I don't necessarily like know all these people and they don't like come consistently it's not like they're able to offer the support that comes with that vulnerability sometimes um Mm -hmm. so I kind of just turned inward um yeah yeah it sounds like um there wasn't that like uh like a true sense of safety within that group like you go deep but it's like oh gosh like now, now we're here right right and then there's also just like it was complicated with my student because I'm a special educator. There are certain um, laws of um, privacy and uh, we can't share about a student's um, disabilities or anything like that. And so it also like, I just like, it just, it felt weird to validate things that people shouldn't know, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's that. Um, and so what is that more uh, meditative solo practice that you're describing? Um, that's a great question. So it 
it uh i well i have like tracks of drum beats and different things that i can meditate to and um i know of ways that i can um sort of journey so um gosh i haven't spoken with someone about this in ages besides my mother. um <clears throat> I have every go get as weird as you can. I okay. So everyone <laughs> has a place where their their spirit um, can go to that is not attached to this planet, and or well, it, it can be, um, but it's in a spiritual realm. And so when I journey, I go to a very specific place, um, and I connect with. Um, spirit guides there um and they're just there like whoever needs to be there is there i do have one that is constantly there um and it is a white buffalo i didn't know those existed and it and he came to me um very early on and he is who has been with me since i was born and will stay with me until this journey is over and um so he's always there but there's also um other spirit guides for different times in life and you can do journeys to find out who they are. Um, and yeah, so I just go there and I go through this journey. Sometimes it's like just observing what's happening, what my spirit is doing. Um, and then once I come out of it, it's sort of like a reflection of, okay, so what did all that mean? Um, and then I tried to take that meaning and um, live my life a little, adjust my life a little bit differently in that moment. Um, and often if I do, I find things work out a little bit better. And if I don't, then I'm reminded mm -hmm. um, in different ways. And so that's like sort of the journeying aspect. And then- Well, just before we move on from there, um, how often do you think you uh, practice that? Um, Sometimes I do it before I fall asleep. I don't always need a track, but I try to do it Well, the past, like almost nine months now have been a little strange. So um, I haven't been practicing as much when I really probably should be practicing more, um, mm -hmm. but I'm human. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, I think I would do it just about every other week. Um, yeah. Because the, the what you're describing um, uh, in terms of just the the uh, you know, I use this the term psychedelic in terms of like the the Latin root of it, which is spirit opening. Yeah. Um, and that's a very psychedelic experience what you're describing. Yeah. and with the, with the integration afterwards and trying mm -hmm. to adjust your course, um, and correct your course um, as yeah. a result of the psychedelic experience. So it's not just like tripping out. It's like you act, you, you're trying to find like sort of like use it as a compass to find north and you find, like readjust. A right. Bit. Right. I think I just kind of drop all ego. Um, anything. Because like what I experience isn't related directly to what's happening in my life. Like um, like I might show up in my space with my buffalo and I might see a child version of myself braiding the hair of the buffalo and putting flowers in it and I just like observe what I'm doing and um, 
And then when I come back and I reflect on it, I think about what's happening in my life. And then what are those things that I, I was doing with my Buffalo and what was his mood? Yeah, it's pretty introspective. And, mm-hmm. um, but yes, so yes, uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well, within most psychedelic experiences, whether substance-induced or not substance-induced, it's a very much a learning. It's a, it's like a, a, a lessons through metaphor that don't that are hard to translate um, yeah. <laughs> outside of that space uh, right. to people who have right. never experienced that. It can be very weird to just be like, "What does braiding the buffalo hair mean?" <laughs> and it's like if you, but if you've been in that space, you're kind of like, I kind of, I'm like yeah. not not sure exactly what you're talking about, but I kind of picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, yeah, like, I don't know, like, yeah, it, it's, it is hard to describe to someone that hasn't been in it. Um, yeah, I, I just, I remember this one journey I had where I was actually, like, painting the buffalo, and, um, or using, like, chalk or something, and he was all different colors, I'm really happy and I was in a place where I just wasn't and I was just like when I was there I was appreciating the way that his like hair felt and it's very real like um and uh so what did that translate to like it's just why shouldn't you do things that are unexpected like paint the hair of an animal and then just be happy and how beautiful it is or find things in your life that are um, beautiful that you're not expecting to be or in a way that you're not expecting them to be. So, yeah. So we dug into that and you were going to go into somewhere else from there, right? Yep. Where was it? Um, can you rephrase the question? Yeah, yeah, it was like, uh, yeah, no, it's fine. And so we, we, uh, before I pulled us back into like the the solo meditative practice, you were going to mm-hmm. s- talk a little bit more about something else. And I was wondering where that was going. If you can't remember, that's fine. I don't remember. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. So um, that is sounds like a spiritual journey that you've been on has been, mm-hmm. you know, you're still figuring it out, but it's oh, that's yeah. as most are, right? Yeah. Um, and I wonder, uh, do you share this uh, practice or these practices with your husband? And uh, do you imagine sharing these practices uh, with your future children? Um, I share bits and pieces with my husband. Um, I respect that he is um, not, he doesn't feel a need for these, or he hasn't felt a need for um, the sort of spiritual connection yet in his life. Um, I suspect as we get older, um, he may get to a place where that is important to him. Um, He has asked questions, he knows what happens, um, but he hasn't himself um, been super open, although um, he has received healing from my mother, shamanic healing. Um, So he's open, you know, uh, to very prescribed aspects of my spirituality. Specific sessions. Yes. (laughs) Um, And then with my future children, absolutely. Um, I think children are way more open and connected um, 
than us adults that have been through conditioning and, you know, just what society says and what our friends say. Um, I definitely hope to share this with my children. Um, and I know my husband would be comfortable with that. Uh, and I know my mother as a grandmother to um, one of my siblings' children shares bits of it with with um, my nephews. So um, I've seen the benefit already um, in the younger generation. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's something really beautiful about the um, the uh, generational lineage of it, especially mm -hmm. within uh, a lot many indigenous cultures, is that there's like an actual there's a real like a grandparent to grandchild or like parent right. to child. There's a real transmission of it down, um, mm -hmm. uh, such that if there is a living line of it, it's pretty cool just to know like oh we don't even know how far back this goes. Exactly, exactly, and um, I do practice genealogy as well, so I do uh, that. This is like not spiritual at all but it can be at mm -hmm. times um but my my first degree is in uh history and i've been doing genealogy since i was young with my mom but we have uh, respectively found shaman um in our lineage um that is just on paper if there's documented um by the french canadian <laughs> uh, uh, archives and um and so that's really, it makes you think and wonder. And um, like, we were actually talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, my mother would not have known that we were part Native American if it hadn't been for a couple of my grandfather's older cousins that she had talked to and been asking questions because we practice genealogy. And so when you do that, you don't just use paper, you also go to um, people who are as close to the source as possible. and. Um, and they had shared that, which really um, lit a fire for us to try and find our native ancestors. And um, they were there and they weren't that far back in generations. But my mother didn't know that until she asked. So like for a period of time, she was only a generation removed, but had no idea. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it is It's really interesting to think about that as well um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah like, uh, you know from my from my family side it's uh, it's really interesting because um my I didn't know it for a while growing up but my grandmother and my mother's side mm -hmm. um practiced uh uh, a like there's there's like a very interesting blend of Korean shamanism, and uh, especially when the Christian missionaries came over, uh, like how it changed as a result of that um, was very fascinating. And my mother, my grandmother practiced it, and then she taught my mom uh, when she was a young child. And then my mom kind of mm -hmm. stopped doing it, but she continued mm -hmm. the Catholic faith. And then here I am, uh, like going into psychiatry. You know, it's like a very right. interesting, yeah. like uh, it's 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 like kind of like in the blood somewhere. Um, right. And I don't know. I think that's very fascinating. It is. It is. I agree completely. Um, and the more you study indigenous cultures, the more you realize, um, or even, you know, I'm also, my, my grandfather is Irish Catholic. We've, I've been to Ireland many, many times. Um, and the pagan rituals are still super strong. <laughs> um, they just have like a label of uh, some saint so um the we were there once for the um summer solstice and there were 
fire. We were driving home from a pub, well, home. Uh, we were driving to our bed and breakfast from a pub, and we could see all these fires on the hillside. And um, and we were with some of my mother's um, first cousins, and and they're like, "Oh, what's this? What's this?" And one of them was a fire chief, so he was super like, "What's going on here?" And um, my dog. <laughs> um, and so we ended up pulling over to this house that had a bonfire in their front yard and, you know, they, they were, they were, they're very welcoming there. And, um, so they, we had been arguing in the car, whether it was a pagan ritual or just like a national holiday. And they're like, no way it's pagan ritual. And my mom's like, I'm pretty sure it probably is. And, um, so we get out and, um, yeah, they mask it as a, a saint's holiday, but it's really the welcoming of the summer solstice. And these bonfires have been in the same place for thousands of years. Um, and that's just been passed down. And um, yeah, so I love, I love stuff like that. Um, really resonates with me. And um, yeah. It's very interesting, like the yeah the the remasking of things and mm-hmm. um, like the Easter holiday. It's just like so fascinating, and uh, I was I was just bristle when uh, I think about how fake a lot of the holidays are. Just like in terms of like using the Gregorian calendar to like get it kind of close, but it's not like on the solstice, not on the equinox, it's not like on these specific. So it was I'm just like mm. I just wish <laughs> this was a real calendar, like a real respected the real. Uh, yeah the real passing of time. Um, but yeah, it's, that's very, that's very interesting and very mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think we've dug in a little bit to your spiritual practices and, um, and through that, I think we've talked a little bit about some of your family connections. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, returning to the prompt of I am, um, I think we hit on some of the family bits, but I know that yeah. there's more to go into. Um, and some of your identifiers or, or like, uh, like, uh, uh, activities that you that you identify with right. um I think we hit on some of them are there more you, that you want to jump into um yeah um yeah so spirituality for me lately um has been um trying to reconnect with my daughter and um so that's been really um interesting and you know there's this I'm already getting emotional but there's just this uh this is like the human experience where I'm getting emotional uh because I was hoping for a connection that would be able to be played out um in this world um but I've been having to find it elsewhere and um that's been tough. It's been really tough. And um, it's just been little bits and pieces as I'm ready. I, I only lost her in April. Um, and yeah, so it's been, it's been a lot. Uh, I don't really know how to like dive into this like explicitly, but um, you know, it, it wasn't something I was expecting to go through. Um, and it's just mind-blowing in so many ways um but 
I'm really grateful for the spiritual practice that I have because I have been able to find those moments of connection and, um, and even not when I'm in that like journeying place, but also just, um, in, in daily life. And, um, and that's most amazing to me. Um, you know, there's this whole thing of like, um, like what is our spirit and how does that work with our body and like, what is the purpose? And, um, and I've felt very disconnected from my body um, since I lost my, my daughter. And I think that's because she was so connected. She was still connected to me. And, um, but like, it's just, it's just crazy. (laughs) Um, I'm having a little bit of a hard time finding words. So if you want to help me, you can. I totally can. (laughs) Um, I think there there are two avenues to go down. I think one is, uh, you know, talking about motherhood without having a child to show for it. Um, And I think that there's the the more like medical side of like the discussion of like, how far along was she? What was that experience like? Uh, Did you need to be in those sorts of things? And I wanna give you the space to kind of like choose your own adventure. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I think it'd be easier to start sort of with the medical piece because um, it sort of gets into it segues into um, what it means to be a mother without a living child, um, which I'm still figuring out. But um, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> for the rest of my life. Um, but yeah, so um, my husband and I decided we were finally ready to start a family. Um, and toward when the was this? Of November 2018. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't like a super huge discussion. We had been talking about it ongoing for a while. And um, his path, his career path was a little bit, um, mine was very clear and his wasn't. And he finally has figured it out. And turns out he's a teacher too. Um, so it's wild to figure that out. <laughs> um, so we're just, we're, we are in a good place to welcome a child into the world. Um, excuse me. Um, and, you know, my family was in a, it just felt good. So we, we, um, we got pregnant right away. We didn't think we would. Um, my body doesn't always cooperate as far as like cycles and things like that. And, um, but yeah, we fell pregnant. It was a really a kind of a surprise. We were expecting it to take a while. Um, and so we were very happy and excited. We um, when did you find out? We found out December twentieth. Oh, so it was a quick turnaround. <laughs> it was so quick. It was so quick. Was it like stopping a uh, uh, birth control, or was it like uh, pulling out an IUD, or was it just making the decision? I had stopped birth control um, in October, and I had a cycle November fourth. And it was a very long cycle. So um, your body was just like figuring out, figuring it all out, and everything met up at the right time and place. Um, What feels by pure luck at this point, Um, I'm quite sure I know when uh, we conceived, um, and pretty early on we knew that, or I knew that 
then maybe was measuring what I felt was like behind um, and by a week. Uh, but there there was a possibility that she could have been conceived a week later too. So um, yeah, so we found out December 20th, my husband had strep throat. <laughs> like it was like from the very beginning, it wasn't like this like picture perfect, like, oh, I have like this cute little gift for my husband and he opens it up and finds out he's going to be, or he is a father. And um, it was, you know, like, oh God, my husband just got antibiotics, but I can't keep this to myself. Um, because finding out you're pregnant, so surreal and so strange. You don't feel different yet, um, but everything changes. Your everything you're thinking about changes. Um, the way that you eat changes. The way that you carry yourself uh, all changes um, very quickly. So I, I did not feel like I couldn't tell him. Um, and so I, I told him, and he's like, I wish I could hug you and kiss you right now, but I'm just contagious. So, yeah, so that's where it started. Um, we told my mother right away on Christmas, um, and I also figured out that my due date was um, one of my niece's birthdays, so I told that brother right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we slowly started telling family, and um, as I explained earlier I'm the youngest of a lot of kids um I have three sisters and two brothers and I'm the only one that does not have a living child um and so there was a lot of excitement um a lot of uh bonding with my sisters over this experience that they had all had that I hadn't had yet um Mm. and I have friends that have had children. I had friends that were pregnant at the same time. Um, so a lot of connecting, like it just completely took over my life um, as it should. And um, and so we went for like a 12 week appointment and, and the ultrasound at eight weeks was great. Um, every picture I have of this baby is gorgeous. Um, <laughs> it was great I I just knew she was I was like I really feel like she's measuring behind what I think and I told them that and they were like oh no no you just like you know your cycles are regular you probably just thought it was then but it wasn't and all right um what do I know I've never been pregnant before um these people are specialists so we'll just go with it um we had a 12-week appointment and uh at that point we could um hear the heartbeat with the Doppler for sure. And so um, the nurse practitioner was looking for the heartbeat and couldn't find it. And I had had a dream the night before Mm. that this would happen. And, um, but everything was fine. And so, but the nurse practitioner like lost her mind. It was very, I was like, ugh, it was, that was unsettling. So she's Mm -hmm. like, I need to go find the ultrasound tech. Like this happens sometimes. And Um, but her energy was just like completely like she was very uncomfortable. And, Mm um, and so she left and I looked at my husband and I was like, I think we're going to be okay. Like I, I actually didn't tell you, but I had a dream about like, it was going to be like this. And he was like, I'm not worried at all. Like everything's fine. So we ended up getting in and, um, and we, the moment the ultrasound technician put the, um, the wand on my belly we just started laughing because the baby was completely like folded up like her feet were above her head 
her heart was um, under her chin, which must have been like blocking like the Doppler's ability to mm-hmm. access the heartbeat, and everything was completely fine. Um, she did a quick look, but it wasn't anything official. They didn't do any measurements. Um, the heart was beating well. She said, um, from what she could see, the brain development looked good. Um, so we watched with some really awesome pictures and, um, and you know, just like, oh my God, our daughter just made us laugh for the first time. Um, it was really special. And it was, it's interesting to me because even though I, I like, I'm very connected spiritually and I sometimes get like feelings about things. I didn't have any feelings about what her health might be. Um, but like, I'm pretty, like, I'm pretty open, like on social media about things. Like I, I definitely keep some things private, but when I got those pictures, like I, I part of me wanted to show the world, like, look how funny my daughter is already. Uh, but then I was like, but I also had this huge overwhelming sense that I needed to keep it private. Um, and I was feeling very protective. Um, so like I showed some people at work, I sent the picture to my siblings, but I, now I'm like, was that an inkling or was that like, it's hard to separate, um, motherhood from like awareness, I guess, or maybe that is what motherhood is, but, um, <laughs> but yeah. What visit was that? Well, how many weeks long was that? Uh, about 12. Okay. About 12. Um, and then, so I have, um, I have an autoimmune condition. It's a arthritis of the spine and, um, it doesn't affect me greatly right now. Um, it can systemically, uh, and men usually have it, um, and so the midwives don't know what my condition is. So they had referred me to a maternal fetal medicine doctor mm-hmm. right away because they're like, we don't know what this is, but we don't want to like joke around. And um, you go talk to him like that's what he deals with. And so we had met with him very early on. Um, my husband didn't know his biological father who has passed away. Um, so we did meet with a geneticist then as well to discuss um getting some chromosomal testing but like the types of things that we were concerned about were not like those chromosomal issues that can that typically happen by accident we were more concerned about like I have a hearing loss what if it ran in his family and then we're like wait we don't know how to handle this we're not worried about that so like we already know what to do but like just like things like we didn't know mm-hmm. um and you can't really test for like the things that we were like we don't know so we didn't move forward with testing um and the maternal fetal medicine doctor said all right well just to keep the midwives happy we'll kind of have you come in for your 20-week ultrasound they'll do a level two um you and i will have a conversation about your health at that point but your autoimmune condition actually should go into remission while you're pregnant or remain the same um, because your immune system depresses in order to keep the fetus. Um, So you shouldn't be like hyperactive, although that does happen to some people. Um, But I was already kind of feeling better at that point. So we felt like it was going to either stay the same or or get even better. So he was like, we'll just set you up to come in and, and we'll figure it out then. Um, And then the midwives will be happy. You'll get a really high 
level ultrasound, um, just extra eyes on the baby. So we're like, great, great. There's extra people just checking out our baby and that'll be good. So um, we went in for the 20 week ultrasound um, on April 2nd and um, it, I knew it was bad pretty much within the first measurement because you can see for anyone that hasn't been to an ultrasound like this, you can see the weeks and days um, when they make a measurement pop up on the screen. Um, and the first measurement that the technician took, um, the baby was measuring at 16 weeks and three days. So I didn't say anything, but she was, she did it a couple times and she went to like a different part of the body and took a different measurement. It was kind of the same. And, um, and she asked me when the due date was and they, the mater there was the maternal fetal medicine doctor had the due date to my cycle starting November 4th. So that would have put me like even further ahead than what I was. And I was like, that's not right. Like, I think the due date August 24th um, and the, the midwives think it's August 30th. And so they call, they were like, I know they were calling um, my regular OB at that point already um, to try to figure out the dating, but it was obviously very horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. um, they asked us if we wanted to know the sex and I was feeling a little hesitant because I could sort of see what way it was going, but my husband was oblivious and I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want to make it a nerve wracking experience if it didn't have to be. So I just sort of let him take the lead with that. And so we did, um, and we found out we were having a girl, um, which I had sort of known. So I'm backtracking for a second here because, mm -hmm. um, I knew I had to take a pregnancy test when I had a dream. It was the most vivid dream I've ever had in my life. I was standing up giving birth and I caught my own baby and it was a girl. Um, and I felt so powerful and it was just like, it was so vivid. Um, so I kind of knew it was a girl already. Um, and mm -hmm. so, so yeah, so then, so um, just to, just to like, uh, yeah. just to like slow your roll for a hot second, you know, cause I know that we're getting to hot territory. Yeah. So, um, I think it's interesting, like, um, you know, when you're talking about the NP, uh, being so uncomfortable and, um, it's a very weird thing. Like, you know, I've rotated through uh, like, um, like MFM, I've rotated through OB guides and it is such a, uh, you know, when things are going well, the, uh, the, like people in the medical space of OB guide are yeah. great. They're so welcoming and they're so warm, but yeah. once things go South and, you know, like midwifery is, is very much like, it's very much like this, uh, it's, uh, I was reading a, uh, a comic book and they were talking about end wives and like people who are, you know, help the process of the, the you know, ending of pregnancy or like how, like how that goes through. And it's very much the same. It's like very much the same tunnel. And, you know, because of how, uh, uh, the, the high mortality rate associated with, with just giving birth in general without the assistance, right. you know, it's, um, it's just such a, a fraught thing. And just to not just 
that discomfort with the other side of the coin mm -hmm. um, is is tough. And it's something that I've noticed and I've noticed in a lot of medical spaces, just like, oh, as soon as people start dying, it's like, it's our fault. Like we failed and we can't even look at it in the face. It's this whole thing. And I get it, I understand why, but it's a very tough cultural thing because then it's just like you said, like the, the whole, the room flips and you're just like, where, like everyone's on their own and you're in, all in your brain. And so you trying to not um, let that happen to your husband. I, I understand why, because it's like, you're like, let's not freak out if we don't need to freak out. But at the right. same time, it's like, you're you're just kind of holding it in and you're just like, oh, shh. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And that's kind of like why I wanted to do this too, because I've had these experiences with my grandparents. I, I have the experience with my student that passed away. Um, I had this connection to the spiritual world that is different than a lot of other people, I think, um, or at least I'm more aware of the connection and death doesn't have to be scary. Um, it's something that happens to all of us. Um, and we're really, really bad in our society at dealing with it. We're not mm -hmm. comfortable with it at all. And it, it just makes it that much harder when it shows up mm -hmm. um and yeah so that's i told i i completely totally agree and um and as we went through the process that we went through there are so many moments that could have been been made much less difficult for myself or for my husband um if we could just be honest about what was happening or um, or if we didn't have stigma attached to the choices that we ended up having to make. Um, yeah, so we can mm -hmm. get into that a little bit. But yeah, so it ended up that the baby was not developing properly. Um, and the maternal field medicine doctor came in and told us and I do have to say the way that he delivered the news was um, extremely compassionate, but professional. Um, and we thanked him right away for the way that he delivered it to us. So he was very um, factual with all of the anomalies, but he was telling us these anomalies with tears in his eyes. And I don't know if it was because it was the last appointment of the day. I don't know if it was because it was a situation where he wasn't expecting to have to deliver this news. I don't, or he's just human and a good person or all of those things. Um, but it was really comforting on some level that he understood the words that he was telling us were going to change everything. And, um, not in a way that is when you find out you're pregnant. Um, so our, our daughter had severe Dandy Walker malformation, which is a brain anomaly where the cerebellum doesn't develop properly. Um, she had total agenesis of the corpus callosum, which is this like structure that tells the two sides of your brain to talk to each other. Um, and just those two conditions alone meant that um, she would be 
potentially constantly seizing. Um, she might not be able to sleep. Um, she certainly wouldn't have cognition of the world around her. Um, she would not be able to communicate um, her needs. Um, she would not be able to experience the world on any level in the way that we do. Um, which as a special educator, like, of course, um, there are people that don't experience the world the way that I do. I work with medically fragile kids at times, um, but this was like beyond, beyond. And then she has a two-chambered heart, which would mean, um, you know, at least an immediate surgery, if not a heart transplant at some point. Oh, and she has one kidney that's not functioning properly. So she probably won't even survive in utero um, because of the amniotic fluid and all that. And it was just like so much to take in. Um, and then she was just tiny on top of it all. And her hands were cupped. And um, they said it was most likely trisomy 13, 18, or 21, um, which is when you have an extra chromosome on one of those chromosomes. Um, and so we knew right away that um, our daughter was going to die. And um, and we were given options. We, we could carry to term. We could um, monitor and not make a decision right away. We could get extra tests. Um, or we could uh, decide to terminate the pregnancy. And um, she was getting to a point where I, so I had said early on that if we did the genetic testing and we found out that something was wrong, like really, really wrong, that I would end the pregnancy because I couldn't handle carrying a child that was dying and being able to feel it move. Um, and, um, so we, ch we chose very quickly to terminate pregnancy. Um, but when I said those words before, I didn't, and this is where I become a mother. Um, that was about me. That was not about my child. And, um, and when we chose to terminate at this point, I was thinking more about, do we allow our daughter to potentially live to term, which didn't seem like it was going to be possible? Um, or if she does continue to live and she does continue to develop some part of her brain that allows her to feel anything at all, whether that's discomfort or pain, do we allow that to happen? Or do we take this gift that we've been given to give her peace and knowing nothing other than um, my womb and weightlessness and comfort and love and um, let her just that be her life, so to speak. Um, it was not about me. Because <laughs> if it had been, it would have been over in that moment because it was complete torture to have to wait and to know that she was living. And that's like, and so, and then it gets into the where does life begin and where does it end and there's people that believe that life begins right at conception. There's people that believe that 
life begins when you exit the womb. But for me, as her mother who carried her, who felt her, who nourished her, who made decisions to allow her to develop to her best potential, her life had already begun because she was already so much a present part of my life. And um, so, yeah, we we ended up choosing to let her go. As How long between that uh, tear-felt um, delivering of the news to making that decision to then beginning the process? Um, well, we said in the room, um, I said, I can't let her live like that. I need, we need to end the pregnancy. Um, and the doctor said, no, I can't take an answer for 24 hours. Okay, <laughs> it's gonna be the same, um, but okay. So um, we went home, I called the next day at like 10 a.m. and I was like, I'm not, just, please just start making phone calls. Um, and this is where it gets complicated because um, in the state of New Hampshire, there is one facility, medical hospital that will do a termination after um, 20 weeks. And by the end of that, so we got the diagnosis on a Tuesday, Friday, I would be at 19 weeks per my midwives, 20 weeks per me, which now I know was right because, <laughs> because I understand my daughter's condition now, but, um, but legally we would have one week beyond then. Um, so the cutoff in the state of New Hampshire is 24 weeks, but no hospital whatsoever will do a termination beyond 20 weeks is what we were told. So we would have to get that termination done within seven days or well, within 10 days of that diagnosis um, if we wanted to stay in New Hampshire. And um, so even, and that's the other thing, like what we had wanted to make more decisions, like what if the diagnosis wasn't as clear, like, oh, it looks like something might be going on. This is what it could mean. It wasn't, if it wasn't so definite, we wouldn't have had the time in mm -hmm. our state to, to explore that. Um, but luckily for us, it was extremely incredibly clear. Um, so we ended up making an appointment at Dartmouth Hitchcock, but they only do these procedures on certain days. So they couldn't do it that Thursday. We had to wait till the next Thursday. Um, and then I was in agony. I, it was, it, I could, my daughter was moving a lot. I could feel her a lot. Um, and I was not in a place because it was so quick and so sudden and pretty much unexpected. I wasn't in a place where I could just sit there and just love her because I was in crisis mode. Um, as much as I wanted to give that to her, I couldn't. Um, it was just more painful than anything. And so my, ironically, my husband's, um, cousin was going through the same thing, except his wife had an incompetent cervix. And, um, so they had to end the pregnancy early and they went to Boston and my, my mother-in-law flew in. And for some reason, she didn't want to ask what hospital they were at. And I was like, well, they're not doing it on Thursday and it sounds like they bumped up the time. So they must do this like every day. I want to know what hospital that is that they're going to. They must have more openings. And so um, 
she ended up finding out and I called my practice and I said, I, I would really appreciate it if you could call this hospital and see if they can do something for us that's sooner than Thursday. And um, so we were able to start the process exactly a week after we had gotten the news. So, um, yeah. Um, and it was a two day process and um, we chose um, a D&E over labor and delivery, which was an option. And we could have stayed at our home hospital for that, but this was our first pregnancy. And again, um, I was hyper aware of my husband and what he would be able to handle and also what I would be able to handle and um, delivering under those circumstances for our first delivery was not what we wanted. And it also wasn't the most recommended by our doctor um, because sometimes you can deliver, but still have issues and end up needing a DNC, which is just basically using different tools than a DNE, which is done later in pregnancy. Um, and I just didn't want to have to go through like multiple medical interventions if I didn't have to. So yeah, yeah. Um, I think that something that I'm thinking about is, um, yeah. you know, something that I learned recently was this idea of, uh, you know, like if you have a candle and you blow it out, Mm -hmm. the candle's out but it's still embering you know it's mm -hmm. not quite out mm -hmm. and that's fine it's not like a bad thing to do it that way but it's also there's a there's I think a really interesting power in just like taking your fingers and putting the can putting the fire out you know like really yeah. just like it is over you know rather than letting it kind of smoke and whisper I think that there's you know something about that like just like I'm taking full ownership of this it yeah. might hurt and it's but it's important i think it's important in some way um you know you know i'm you know i'm you know talking abstractly about a candle you know so it's, but, <laughs> I, get it. I, I get it yeah. but you get you get yeah so it's i think that that's um you know i think that there's a really interesting intersection between the politics and the the medical and the the human experience of it all yeah. um and you know that there's you know i understand the uh from a from a medical side why they would uh, advise against the labor and delivery but i also understand from like a more pagan and spiritual aspect the importance of like that and i'm not passing judgment on your decision at all yeah but you you got it like it's like there's there's something there and i think that that you know there's there's a level of of you know um of not not like not just emotion but physical closure in it and i know that there is closure in you know in all the ways but it's like uh it's just such a weird uh you know it's such a weird experience and it was also being your first labor it would just be a whole wacky thing and right. um i don't uh i don't know we we um we lost a pregnancy very early on so we didn't have to go through that level of experience right. Um, and it's just a very, it's a wacky thing and it's tough to talk about. And the fact that your, uh, cousin or sister-in-law, uh, my husband's cousin's wife. Yeah. Cousin. Okay. So like, but distant, you know, going through the similar thing, but you know, not necessarily, you know, not even getting all, you know, it's just like, there's so much level of like, how much is this really going on? We don't know about it, but also if it's going on so much, why is it so weird? And like, even with the medical professionals, why is it so weird? Yes. 
um, it's really tough to um, kind of tease that out. Right. And from the medical standpoint, too. So we, no one ever said the word abortion to me out loud. Um, and so when I was going through this, um, once we had our appointment and I knew the surgeon's name, I looked her up because I look up everything. <laughs> um, that's just who I am. But uh, I looked up her name and um, the first thing that came up on Google was an abortion doctor's hit list. And that's when I realized I was having an abortion. Um, I, I understood I was ending the pregnancy. I don't know if it was just like my frame of mind, like bits and pieces of what I could handle at the moment. Um, but I didn't realize I was having an abortion until I found her name on a hit list. And it was because she had worked in the Midwest before, I think mostly um, at a Planned Parenthood and was um, specialized in, in second term abortions. Um, so like in some ways I was like comforted by that because this is what she specializes in. Um, but abortion, the word brings up like this whole other can of worms and, um, but no one ever said it out loud to me. Uh, the hospital I went to, the, I, it was like a clinic inside the bowels of the hospital. Um, only my husband could go with me. We had to be escorted up. I didn't have an, any identification band on me. Um, until I was uh, through checking in behind a security guard and metal detector and, um, and until I was separated from my husband and um, being prepped. Then I got my ID. Um, and, and then the only time I ever saw the words, I had to consent to, um, to what was happening and I had to sign it. And um, the poor, uh, it was like a medical student that was giving me. <laughs> and it was like the sweetest thing on the planet and was just like so awkward about it. And, um, but the whole experience, because of the politics and the way that people respond to this choice to end a life, um, parts of it were more traumatizing than they mm -hmm. really needed to be. Like, ideally, I would have been able to do this at my home hospital. My husband and my mother would have been able to be at my side until I was wheeled in. I would have been able to wake up um, from full recovery with my husband next to me. And I was completely alone with people I didn't know who were kind and compassionate but didn't know me. Um, and I was like, I was behind security. Like, what was that? Um, in New England. <laughs> so, you know, it's just, it's the whole politics. And the, yeah, I, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it did not have to be that way. Um, we are way more compassionate when we are taking people off life support, I think. I don't know if that's because they've lived a full life, um, but yeah, 
and that's essentially what I was doing. I was my child's life support without me. Um, we found out after two, three weeks after um, the procedure, they had done a microarray, and she ended up um, having a genetic condition called triploidy. Called what? Which is triploidy, uh-huh. which is an extra chromosome on every single chromosome. And so we learned then um, her condition was completely fatal. She probably wouldn't have made it to term. If she had, she would have died during labor, um, most likely. Uh, and the chances that I would have um, carried this pregnancy past 20 weeks were one in 250,000. So it's like not a common thing. Um, it's so, you know, it's just like, It could have been so different. It could have been so different. Um, and it, I wonder if it was different, if I would have been able to handle it in a way that I spiritually, like when I'm not in crisis, um, would have liked to. Um, so I did receive shamanic healing from my mother's um, shamanic teacher before and after um, the procedure. Uh, but I would have liked to have done that for my baby too, you know? Um, but I couldn't and like mentally do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, um, you know, the we can we we i mean we can circle back to this um and i think that one thing that i do want to hit on is before we like Mm -hmm. transition more you know deeper into the prompts is um that first mother's day yeah that was hard um people don't most people, unless they've been in this position or um, have lost a later pregnancy, don't understand that I am very much a mother. Um, even my own father has a difficult time with it. Um, there are so many times um, he... It, and this was all extremely painful for my whole family, too. They weren't quite sure how to support me and my husband. Um, except my mother had lost a pregnancy at 24 weeks. So uh, that was her first pregnancy. So that was um, very helpful for me in that she just knew what to do. She just knew. Um, but my dad... <laughs> the dog's picking up on it. Excuse me. Can I excuse yeah, me? Yeah, you can. Okay. So my dad would say things like 
so incredibly sweet. He he kept saying, I want to take your pain and put it under my pillow when I go to sleep so I can just keep it away from you for a little while. And it's a very primal pain, um, very visceral um, pain that I was going through. And it was so sweet that he said that. And then he would, for several times, he would end with, you'll understand when you're a parent. And I finally, after hearing that like four or five times, because he, he just really wanted me to know that he wished that I didn't have to do this and he wished that he could take that pain away from me. I said, dad, you know, I, I do get it. Um, he's like, what do you mean? And I said, well, we made the decision we did so that our daughter wouldn't have to suffer. Um, and we were given the opportunity to take away any future pain or suffering from her. And we did. Um, so I do understand what it's like as a parent to look at your child and wish so badly for something to be different or easier for them. Because um, I've lived through that and I had to make the decision. Um, so what does it mean to be a mother? <laughs> well, first, how did that land on your father? Good question. Um, he got it when I said it that way. Um, he's like, I totally didn't even think of it that way. Um, I, uh, he just, he accepted it very gracefully. Um, it just hadn't occurred to him. And I mean, he's, he's male. He's never carried a child. We don't get it. It's just yeah. awful. <laughs> <laughs> we don't get it. <laughs> he doesn't, right. You don't understand how consuming it is. You don't understand mm -hmm. the feeling of life inside of you that you're already. I didn't get it until like four months into my son's life. Like until he could really stop, stop being a fetus outside the body and be more of like his own little dude. Right. I didn't get it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so when I put it that way to my dad, he seemed to understand, or at least he knew to respond in a way that it appeared that he understood. Um, so Mother's Day was difficult in that, you know, there's moments that you want to be acknowledged, there's moments you don't, there's moments you want to be completely private, there's moments where you don't want to be. Um, only two of my siblings said happy Mother's Day and we're sorry that this is the way it is the first time. And then the other three were just like thinking of you today. So they didn't even know what to say themselves. Um, and I just found myself like wishing that someone would ask me besides my mom, besides my husband, how are you feeling today? Or what is this like for you? Um, I mean, obviously I'm talking to you, I'm a pretty like open person and this is like how I process things. But um, I also knew like, because once people found out that we had lost the pregnancy and some people heard details, more people came to me and said, oh, we had a late loss. Um, I, I had three separate people in my building 
where I work that came to me and said, we went through the same thing, second trimester termination. One of the women, multiple times. Um, so I knew, and I know that there are other mothers out there that are feeling similarly to how I am. And I also, there's also just like being mad that this is a, going to be a part of Mother's Day for the rest of my life. Um, that I have a child that will never be physically present, um, which hopefully I'll get to a point where like I can be okay with that um, and spiritually be more connected and feel like she's more present, but um, it was hard, it was really hard. And it's so hard to tease out what you feel you need and what you feel you don't. And yeah, it's just, um, it was a hard day. It was a hard day. And Father's Day was very difficult for my husband too. And he's grieving completely differently. Um, it's much more private. Um, it's just hard. And he helped me make the decision. I was the one that signed the papers. You know, I was the one that if I had said stop, we can't do this, they would have listened to me. And um, if my husband had, it wouldn't have mattered. But, <laughs> but you know, he carries that weight as well. Um, so it's just hard. Mm-hmm. It's tough because, um, you know, with uh, um, when I hear uh, some patients describe the death of a young child, um, that they'll, they'll, you know, uh, and I'm sure you'll, 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 you're not really looking forward to the anniversary, you know, like that, that anniversaries are a big thing, like the, the, the solar cycle continuing. So, but with them, it's like there, there's the birthday and then there's the death day. And for you, you don't even get the birthday really. You just get the death day, unfortunately. Which is like, then like going, going back to like this whole, like on death thing, like did, to me, she had a life. Mm-hmm. Um, but to the rest of the world, maybe not. Um, so was it really a death? Like it's just like you know, I could have done that if I <laughs> really wanted to. Um, but for me, in my experience and in my reality, she was the real spirit that was with me. Um, and yeah, so I have, I have her death date. Um, but we're also coming up on her due date mm. and earlier is also my niece's birthday. Um, and that, so that's like the other part of the grief that I'm learning about is like, I'm, so I am being a psychologist and um, there's just something about the gestational period and um when it's interrupted and then, but like continuing for like, it's just, yeah, there's other mm-hmm. anniversaries that we take into account that um, other people might not think of or um, put as much weight in. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And before we move on to the next prompt, I want to ask um, how has this experience um, changed your relationship with your mother who has had a similar enough experience? Um, 
I have a completely different perspective on what she went through. Um, her husband at the time, so she, not my father, my brother's father, um, was pretty absent. He was a drinker um, and from what I hear from her perspective, wasn't really ever fully like married um, in every sense of the word. And so when she went through this, um, it was later in pregnancy, there were not answers, it was the late seventies. Um, she was in Tufton Borough, New Hampshire, which is like the middle of nowhere. Um, and her family was two, two and a half hours away. And so she was pretty much alone. Mm -hmm. um, I have a completely different perspective of what that means now um, and I just really I mean I always admired her strength um, but I also now more fully understand um, who she is as a mother and mm -hmm. why she behaves the way she does um, I admire her completely um, so I've always respected her, but as a mother, I can totally appreciate and respect her on a different level. Um, and we've just been able to connect as mothers um, over what we went through. So that's, it's kind of cool in that way. I'm really glad, um, which sounds awful to say, I'm glad that she had that experience, that she was able to support me in the way that she did. Um, did you know about this growing up? Um, so I first learned about, um, my older sibling, uh, so I can't remember what Catholic uh, day it is, but there's a day where you write in a book, people that have passed, and then they get prayed over on the specific day in mass. I don't remember what it is. Um, but it's a day. It's a day. Mm -hmm. And I remember I went up with her and... She, you know, she put her grandparents' names in, and then she put Baby Reynolds. And I was like, Mom, who's that? When was this? And um, Baby Reynolds, and and who was that? And she said, I'll tell you later. And so later she told me that, she, you know, um, you were supposed to have an older sibling, and they, they died when I was pregnant. And, um, and so... So I was young, like, so to me, it was more like, oh, I could have had an older sibling. How weird would that have been? Like, what was that? Like another, another one. Um, <laughs> it's very like, not like sad or anything. It was just like, oh, huh. Um, but then when we started doing the spiritual stuff and um, having readings, uh, a baby kept coming over. And um that's when I started to get a glimpse of what the loss was like for her because it would make her very emotional. Um, having been Catholic, she was very, uh, she had lived for a number of years, very concerned that her baby wasn't baptized and therefore um, would be sort of like in limbo and um, worried about where her child's spirit was. Um, so to get validation that, um, that may not be reality, that the spirit is um, not in limbo and is 
fine uh, was extremely healing for her. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I've known about that sibling for a long time, um, but the gravity of it, I've only really understood as I got older and now I completely, completely get it. And I think, and within many um, shamanic and indigenous cultures, there's a, there's this idea of like the wounded healer, right? Have you heard of that? Yeah. yeah and it's like, uh, you know, you kind of got to get messed up yourself before you can really learn how to help other people. And it sounds like your mother, that's, you know, a, an inextricable part of her story. And, sure. the, and I think in some way that might be what defines your story in, in the longer term. I think so too. Yeah. Because, you know, this is still so fresh. It's not even... It's so fresh. It's, like, not even... Yeah, you're right. Um, and, um, uh, you know, there's just something beautiful about the shepherding of people through this, these experiences. Um, uh, whether it's, like, an experienced midwife who's, like, well past her childbearing years telling, like, a young girl that, like, everything's going to be fine and she's, like, going through these crazy contractions, you know? Um, but then there's also something really wonderful about that. Um, just like, you know, this grief is terrible and, but I've been through it, um, in my own way. And, uh, you know, yours is going to be different, but it's like, I, I've at least sort of, I've walked in the same direction and that's, yeah. that, that can be very, um, wonderful to have, uh, yeah. versus just being like thrown out of the hospital and just being, what do I do now? Right. Right. And I've sought out, um, I've sought out people that have been through the same experience myself, uh, to help myself through this journey as well. Um, there's a super secret face. <laughs> there usually is. Yes, yeah, so you have to go through this intense like, process to get to be a part of it. And there's, um, I don't even know how many parents are on it now. It's not just for mothers, it's for fathers as well. And um, they're much more quiet and not as present as the mothers. Um, mm -hmm. But it's all for um, parents that have ended a wanted pregnancy. And um, because it's a very unique and completely isolating at times experience. Um, and I've really found a lot of healing through that and connecting with um, other parents that have been through this. And um, I'm, I've met or I'm going to meet some of them mm. uh, in person and things like that. So, yeah, really amazing connections and new friendships that have come from this, too. So, mm. um, yeah, I think I think as I get older, um, I will continue to process this in a way that I can help other women through it. Um, I've even heard of like, um, there are doulas that are trained specifically for this type of scenario. And I'm not in a place right now where I could think about um, going through that training, but um, it could be really, that's like something that I think of like, oh, maybe that would be something that I could do on my summers, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, but you know, it's as long as it continues the social stigma um, and the politics and the weirdness about death, especially of someone that is not super clear if they've been living, um, as long as that is as weird as it is, um, women and fathers, mothers and fathers are going to continue to need or benefit from a little bit of extra support from someone that's been there. Yeah. And I 
I fibbed. I before we go to this next prompt, okay. um, the one thing I want to circle back to that we talked about before the interview was this uh, discovery of a brother. Yes. <laughs> right around the time you're like right when you're trying to uh, think about yeah. certain right. Yeah. What was going on there? I so. I have to be a little bit thoughtful because it's a sensitive subject um, for my father. So I'm going to try to not overshare. Mm -hmm. But I also need to be respective of my own journey in this. Um, I was contacted on Facebook at the end of September of 2018 by this guy. And we had one mutual friend, which was a friend from college. And his message to me was super sketchy. Like I thought either something happened in college that I, I had maybe not, maybe drank too much or something. Something happened that I didn't remember, which happened super rarely. So I didn't think that would be the case. And if I did drink that much, I was really careful in college. Like, uh, um, <laughs> college is a dark time sometimes. Like, yeah, I did it, but I didn't like get to like that yeah. state like out in public. So I was like, did something happen? I didn't remember. Like, either that or because he said he needed something um I needed to know something and he needed help and also it's awful of me to say but heroin addiction is huge here in New Hampshire and I was like maybe this person has just become addicted and is looking for a handout and like heard I'm a nice person and mm-hmm. like thought they could so I didn't, you just didn't know. You just had no idea. Yeah. So I didn't respond, but then like I got like kind of curious and I started looking at his pictures and all this, I was like, he looks super familiar. Ooh. And then I saw this one picture. I was like, oh shit. He's one of us. Like, I didn't know if my aunt had had a baby and given it up. I didn't know if my dad had thought child and I'm like how old is he because my dad had been married then divorced then married my mom um and this was all like in the mid 80s but he's very clearly from my dad's side and I was like okay well if this is really what I think it is um then he's not just like if I don't respond he's not gonna let it go because my family doesn't let things go he's either going to like try to friend me or he's going to be like persistent in some way sure enough a week later he tries to friend me and I was like all right so I just wrote back hey what's up and uh, (laughs) I didn't want to give him like too much to hang on to and um and then he sent me this really long message about um I've been told my whole life, Bill Carlson is my father. Um, I knew he had a a daughter, that's you, or siblings. Um, And I started hysterically laughing because um, I mentioned earlier, my husband didn't know his biological father. And um, two years prior, he had asked me to find a half-sister of his, and I did find her and um it just felt very karmic (laughs) felt very karmic and I just laughed and laughed 
And then I pulled myself together. My husband like came over to me. I was in our bedroom and he came in and he's like, what's going on? And I told him and I didn't even say it felt karmic. And he was like, this feels like karma. (laughs) Um, So then we just started talking like every day and it was really super intense. And um, we were just trying to figure out if this was real. Um, Like, did his mother tell him the truth about his father's name? And um, started comparing like baby pictures and... It's like undeniable. And he and I are similar in very strange ways, but also like not similar at all. We were raised completely differently. Um, And um, through the whole time, I was just super aware of how I wished my husband had been treated um, when we found his sister. Uh, Mm. Very closed off. And um, we still haven't met her, still haven't talked to her on the phone. We get emails sporadically. Um, she just doesn't seem to want that connection or is fearful of it. And um, and I asked my brother, what do you want from this? When, like after I got that really long message and, um, and he said he liked that question, which then I knew he was similar to me. And, um, and then said, I just want you to know I exist. And that's exactly what my husband said to his sister. And so I knew that um, on some level, they have a similar way of processing this really bizarre experience. And so I just let him um, lead the way. Uh, it's, he's in a super vulnerable position. Um, he, you know, um, it's scary. It's scary to think about introducing yourself to a parent that you have perceived has abandoned you um, and to try to get those answers. So um, I didn't have any answers. I wasn't alive at the time that he was conceived. Um, And I answered questions the best that I could without answering like four people, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I couldn't answer a question, I would just tell him that. Um, and then, so once I told him I was pregnant and, and it's his daughter who, whose birthday, um, is my due date. And, um, and he called me and he was all excited. And then he goes, Oh shit. And I said, what? And he said, you can't hide me while you're pregnant. And I was like, I'm not hiding you. Like if someone asks me, I'd be honest. Like, you know, like, I'm not hiding you. And it's totally like, that's your journey. Like if you, if this is what's going to be the diving board for, or the, you know, like the motivation for you to, to go forward and meet our father, then, um, then whatever, but that's not my, I'm not making you do this. So, um, yeah, he ended up going to our father's house, um, and introducing himself and, um, it's been really interesting. Sure. And that's an ongoing story for sure. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and, um, and losing the baby has uh, sort of on some levels put some of this process, that processing on a hold um, mm-hmm. at least for me, um, because that in itself is, is, it can be heavy at times. Um, sort of like a, an identity crisis as a family not in a bad way but just okay so now we have 
this new brother and he has a wife and two kids and how does that fit into mm-hmm. the fabric of the family um mm-hmm. and we want it to that's like it would be one thing if everyone was like no 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 like which does happen to some people like my husband um but yeah mm-hmm. then it's a whole uh rejiggering and re like uh i think about um relationships in terms of like uh uh celestial orbits you know like there's the sun and there are these planets that move around it and then if you throw an extra huge sun in the mix it's like that's going everything is going to change and it's going to take a significant amount of time like a non-insignificant amount of time to readjust and like find the right levels and distances and Sweet. On some levels, I'm at a different place of readjustment than other people in my family because I've known for longer, and um, my brother and I have an established relationship. Like, yeah, it's, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Whole thing. So, I think this is a good point to move into the next prompt yeah. of before I die. What do you think about that? Before I die, I want. Um, I want to be able to I'm trying to figure out how to frame this. I want to be able to make sure that the people that I love know that like undeniably um, in a way that makes sense to them and not necessarily to me. Um, Because what I'm learning through what we're going through with losing the baby and even with my brother showing up um, is my experience and feelings about that experience are not the same as um, other people in my life. Mm -hmm. And um, I desperately love my family. um, But I, they don't love the same way that I do. And so, um, I, I just want to make sure that before I die, um, that it's unquestionable of how much I love the people that mean the most to me. Um, and yeah, I, I'm in the, I, because of like my spiritual um, I like, I'm not afraid to die, but I, I'm really thoughtful of what it would be like for those around me if I did. Um, and I would want them to have that to hang on to. Um, I hope I don't sound like a self-inflated person. <laughs> no, you're doing great. You're doing great, Caitlin. Don't worry. Um, and you know, like I already, I I work a job where I know I do good, and I know sometimes I don't make the best choices. Um, not in like a bad way, but I definitely don't make my job any easier for myself at sometimes. But I know that the job that I do. Um, there's a lot of um, purpose and meaning behind it. So I feel like every day I do something that is for the better. So it's not, I don't feel like this huge, like, I have to go out and do like, something. Do the thing. Yeah. 
You're doing the thing. I'm doing the thing. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, of course I would love to do like more like exciting things. Like I'd love to travel more. I'd love to um, go. So my husband's biological father is from a specific small village in Italy that he was born in. And I would love to go there and just like, there's things about my husband that don't make sense with how he was raised or like the people around him. And I just, I feel like if we went there, he'd find like a piece of himself and I would like see him reflected in these people. I would love to go there. Like, so there's like things like stuff like that, but it's not like, uh, my life was a waste. Cause I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's much more the connections that is important to me with the people that I care about and love. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's, it's a, a journey that I've had with parenthood in, in terms of the connection that I have with my like motherland of Korea, it's changed a lot in the context of my son. And I think that it will change, you know, as you, um, you know, as your experiences as parents evolves and changes, um, maybe that, you know, it's like that will fit into that story in its own way, you know, like, and so I think that that'll be interesting. So I mentioned earlier that there's some things about Catholicism that I do still like, and they are ritual things that are more private. So I really love um, holy water. I love the idea that someone has prayed over this water, given it some sort of energy so that when someone blesses themselves with it, they are in a mindful place to pray or meditate. Um, So I absolutely, I don't know why I cling to that, but I feel like that must be pagan in some way too. I don't know. Um, And and there's other cultures that do different cleansing rituals before meditation or prayer. So, um, you know, before I went in to have my surgery um, and to let go of my daughter, I did use holy water in the car in the middle of Boston um, to just sort of... um, ground myself as much as I could and then I also really love um not all Catholic churches do this in America um some do but there are places where you can go to light a candle and um they are placed among other candles and you light them um for people that are going through a difficult moment or to remember someone that is gone um and as long as, it, and when you do that, you also pray for all the other candles that are lit, therefore praying for those other um, people. And um, and I think that's just so beautiful, like that you can go to a place and um, put energy towards a person or a person's memory or experience and then quietly make it possible for other people to join you in that. And this is why I brought this up is because um, when we were losing the baby, I knew that, um, so I've, con- I've connected more with some of my husband's Italian cousins than I have obviously with his sister. And, um, and so I wrote to one of his cousins because I knew he was going to the village in Italy where his father was born. And, I, and he's a... Um, 
think he might be a Lutheran minister. But he goes to the churches and when he's there. And um, I asked him to light a candle for our baby um, in the village where uh, his her grandfather was born. Um, and that makes me emotional. And um, and he did. He he went to three churches because the town that they were in, <laughs> different villages. He went to like two or three and he took pictures of them and sent them to me. And they like, he picked the biggest candle out of all of them. So <laughs> like, it was just so sweet. And, um, but to know that people who are somehow connected to my daughter, like her existence was possible because someone chose to leave that village and come here um, and bothered someone. And then, that person turned into my husband and he was able to give me this daughter. But to know that she was being prayed over um, in that village was really amazing and special. And it was over the Easter holiday too. So that was like a whole <laughs> Easter was a little bit emotional too on um, a spiritual level, just like the, you know, the rebirth and all that. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so like those, like that connection to the homeland and, um, it can be really meaningful to people if they're able to like connect to it or like, you know, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah, that's very, there's, I think there's something really interesting about that. Um, uh, there, there's something just so nice about a communal spiritual experience like yeah. that, that there is hard to ignore. And, um, I can understand why you would at this time prefer the, the almost, solitary but but yeah. together experience of that um right. versus the you know the very intensely together uh like right. you know medium uh, you know sort of those that we were describing um i get it that makes yeah. sense and yeah. i think it makes sense about why you want um this level of connection and love especially if you have a different love language than a lot of the people around you um that can be challenging but i i get it i think that makes yeah. sense yeah yeah so I guess my life is all about connection and um, and just showing how much I value those connections. Um, and I hope that the people that I have those connections with can feel and understand that about me. Yeah. Excellent. It makes sense. I get it. And so uh, I want to ask, is there anything else on the list or do you want to move on to the when I die? I mean, I would love for the upstairs of my house to be done. <laughs> there's like, you know, there's just like very like, there's stuff like that. But um, yeah, no, I, again, I have learned that um, we're not guaranteed things that we think we might be guaranteed. And um, so now that I've gone through losing a child, things have become much more simple in that way. Um, Yeah, all I have is knowing who I am, which I'm still figuring out. So yes, so this is the other thing um, before I die. So I have explained it to one of my brothers this way that um, losing our daughter has been and I, I talked about it a little bit earlier too, like I felt very disconnected from my 
body in some ways. And mm-hmm. um, I, I am so aware that I have like no control over this thing <laughs> in some ways. And I do in other ways. And, but um, this experience, it feels like I've been like completely torn open and like everything's broken and I'm trying to put it back together. And so like, I recognize myself. Um, I see pieces of myself that make sense and um, and that I know are true, but they're like in a different pattern or like they're like in like a pile on the floor and I could come up and like put it back together somehow. And I know that the way that I put it back together won't be the same. Um, it might look the same to everyone else, um, but to me it will be different. And um, I've done a lot of sort of thinking on that and um yeah so I would like to finish that process which I don't think we'll ever finish but um I think you'll go through iterations of it yeah (laughs) yeah I'd like to I'd like to at least figure out what I look like after this particular journey Mm -hmm. um yeah and if I had to guess you know from what you're describing it's that is a level of um of that experience of entering a new phase of life of parenthood yeah. and um you know it sounds a lot like what i'm going through right yeah. now too you know? yeah. yeah yeah and um you know i like to think you know there's this uh, way of dividing up the experiences of life into like childhood adolescence adulthood parenthood uh mentorship and then um um elderhood and, you know, like the, as you transition to each through through each one, if you manage to, um, there's a process of breaking down and rebuilding and breaking down and rebuilding. And right. as you go through and you'll you'll be very dramatically different people, but not in a way that makes sense for everyone around you. Right. So you're not unrecognizable, yeah, especially if they don't participate in that um, you know, cross, crossing of the threshold. If they just kind of see it from afar, mm-hmm. they may like, uh, it can be difficult to understand, you know, like, you know, speaking broadly about like uh, an adolescent transitioning into adulthood, like there, there may be a specific moment that they feel like that happened. And mm-hmm. if they, the world around them doesn't recognize it, it can be challenging because it's right. like, I'm an adult now. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I see that as the, as the youngest child too. Mm especially where my siblings for this new brother are all so much older than me. Um, and they're very much a formative part of who I am, but I'm not necessarily for them or some of them, like the formative years. I mean, like childhood, like mm-hmm. some of my siblings, my oldest sister was 17. She already like was about to leave the house. So um, yeah, there's, that's been interesting too, but um, <laughs> yeah, so definitely people on the outside um, don't always see it all. You're right. Um, it's tough. Yeah. And so um, how do you finish that next prompt of when I die, I want? Um, when I die, I want to Oh gosh, I don't know what it what happens. I know that um, <laughs> I know that there is a transition. I just want to be aware, and I don't know if that's like a thing. I think so. I hope so. I hope so too. I really do, and especially you know with what I've done as far as like 
mediumship type stuff or energy work or I feel like there has to be some sort of awareness in order for me to receive those messages or, um, you know, to get little signs here and there. Um, I would like to be aware and I, I hope that if I reach my goal of um, being able to communicate my love in a way that makes sense to those that are important to me that um, when I go that that some of the weight that can come with the death of someone doesn't stay with them too long. Um, I hope it's more of a transition into a different kind of relationship with the person that, um, or with the life that I've lived and how that's impacted others. Um, not so much an ending. And that's, and I've been thinking about that a lot um, when trying to figure out what did my daughter's life mean or like, was it, life so to speak I I have memories uh with my daughter and I have ex tangible experiences with her and um her life will be remembered um for as long as that I'm around so you know that like I would like people to people to have just as intimate memories that remind them of who I have been and yeah. yeah. What did you give her a name? We didn't. Um, we had a name picked out, uh, both for a boy and a girl. I've had a girl's name picked out since I was like 16. <laughs> um, and we, like, the name that we chose was one that, um, it's family name. So, the, like the, I think about the Jewish naming tradition, and I, I don't fully like know the whole ritual, but they, they have like a naming ceremony, and they often choose names of people in that family, and um, and I think I kind of like unknowingly chose the name that way, but there are certain like attributes that I hope that my um, daughter would have when I give her that name, and um, it didn't feel right to give a name to a child that wouldn't be able to live out what I hoped that name would mean to them. Um, so we have not named her. Um, we just refer to her as Baby Gray. And um, we might in the future, if that makes it easier for us to talk about her or remember her, um, but it hasn't been. See, and then I feel like if we name her, then that might make her more real to other people. But then I get like pissed off, like she should already be real. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like why do I have to name her in order for her to be have been a, a person, living presence? Um, so yeah, we're we're not there. Um, I get it. We will be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So no, no name for her. Names are weird. We didn't figure out his name until he was like, we were almost about to leave the hospital and they were like, yeah. you need to give him a name. And it was like, yeah. I just want to get to know him for a little while. I know. I know. It's a tough thing. And um, yeah, I think that family names are interesting and um, yeah, just names are interesting. Like I know within um, some cultures, they don't even name them until they're a year old. Right. Just because right. it's like they think of them as just not even 
a full flame yet. They're still right. just embers. And it's, I get that too. Like there's yeah. a, there's a real wisdom there too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true. I mean, I have plenty of nieces and nephews um, and, and I've watched them become their own person. And it's, it's true. There's definitely an evolution and personalities that don't fully show up until a little bit later. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I guess I approached, I guess like, it's interesting that I wanted her to fit the name I chose rather than choose a name that fit her. Mm -hmm. Although the reason I didn't want to name her was it wouldn't have fit her. That's fair. And that, that's the other thing is it's sort of like, uh, are you trying to make the glove fit the hand or the hand fit the glove? Right. right? And there's, there should be some give and take to that, but there also should mm -hmm. be like, you know, it should feel very right. Yeah. And I get that. And so, um, you know, normally during this prompt, I ask if there has been a death that has affected you greatly. And I think we have covered that. Is yeah. that fair? <laughs> so, at least for now, I think, you know, we can check in in a few years and maybe we can dig into some other things. But I think for now, it's a yeah. pretty good one to dig into. Yeah. Um, and I just wonder, is there, you know, through some of your experiences, um, um, do you have any idea in any in any sense of the magnitude or the type of experience that the transition from life to death will be? So, um, I'm not, I don't know. It's so my mother's shamanic teacher. I mentioned she did some healings and, mm -hmm. um, she also sort of checked in with the baby and, um, she said that she saw the operating room and um, I'm going to do my best to get through this. Uh, she saw the baby being taken from me. Um, and with the baby was um, a bright light that presumably would be her spirit. And that um, when the baby was being placed into like the receptacle that they would place the baby into that my grandfather who I'm I was very close to in his life and who has been a spiritual teacher for me beyond um was there and received her light in his hands um and then he would be responsible for her transition um and would take care of her so I think when the transition happens, I think um, all of these spiritual teachers that I've had on the other side and um, people who have been important to me and that I feel around me, even though they're not here, will be there and I will be able to make the transition with them. Um, and what it transitions into, I don't think it is like, like, I don't think my grandfather exists only as my grandfather. I think he is a spirit that I do believe sometimes that we, um, have more than one lifetime. I don't think I could ever possibly learn all there is to learn about life in this one lifetime. Um, and therefore, uh, we can't exist only as ourselves 
uh, in the afterworld, their spirits have to be something different. And I think I've been experiencing that too, where I've felt at times very detached from my body. Um, in that, like, I just don't understand what's happening with it. And, um, and, but I'm still very much me, but I don't feel like connected to my body, if that makes sense. Um, I'm sure there's like some psychology behind that, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of what I picture and expect, especially having, uh, received that information from my mother's teacher, what her interpretation was. Um, and I think that's beautiful. I think it's, um, beautiful. I don't think it's going to be painful. I don't think it's going to be, um, upsetting for me. <laughs> um, I kind of hope it feels like coming home, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a uh, one previous guest, uh, Yahya Mashriki, was talking about near-death experiences and how there is almost always uh, a sensation of going towards the light, and then there's very often uh, a receiving of your of your personhood by someone else that you recognize in some capacity. Yeah. And I think there's yeah. something I don't know. I you know if it's if people keep talking about it, I'm like maybe you know, and that's the closest we can get to death. You know, like having gone through it, yeah. is somebody going through a near death is like. Oh, there who knows maybe i don't and i'm also prepared for it to be completely uh you know i like remembering susanna's or susie's uh <laughs> chat with you and um talking more about just like that universal spirit and i like i think that's sort of what i'm talking about like the transition i think we transitioned to something like that uh but yeah i think I feel like with birth, there's such a meaningful experience in being welcomed. Uh, I hope that in death, it's similar. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. So how do you finish that final prompt of after I die, I want? After I die, I want. I want what I just described. Um, <laughs> um, I just, I want, I want, I want my family to be at peace. Um, you know, like, I don't need, like, some big, huge memorial. Like, I don't, and I know that you be these open-ended. <laughs> Painfully so. Painfully so. Like, I already know I'm going to be cremated. My daughter is cremated, and, um... And my husband and I have already had that conversation and we know where we're going to go and she'll be there soon. And, um, and, uh, so we, we chose that. Um, so those wishes are already expressed. Um, I just, I don't know, like I'm also a historian, like I'd like my story to be remembered in some way. Um, it doesn't have to be in a big way, but um, you know, I'm, I have all these experiences and it feels, it's important to me, obviously I'm living this life and um, I hope that other people would be able to find meaning from what I've lived, for sure. Yeah, that's what I want. I want people to find meaning from my life. Um, <laughs> 
I think that's as simple as I could put it. I like it. It's very simple. And I think at this point, it's these are uh, these are responses that make quite a bit of sense. Yep. And, um, you know, the only thing I want to dig into is like, uh, um, you know, another challenging question I like to ask people at this point is what do you imagine the far future to be? Like, how do you imagine? Yeah, well, like tens or hundreds of thousands of years from now. Um, in a time scale that doesn't even make sense in terms of words, um, what do you even imagine the future to be like that is to- almost entirely disconnected from the fabric of like the political, you know, geopolitical sphere of that we understand it now? Like, what do you think the future will be? I don't, I'm not 100% sure. I feel like we are like on this pendulum uh, as a species where uh, it feels like we're getting really close to like one of those extremes and I don't know if that's just because we live in America right now and things are cuckoo um but I think it's on a global sense too like the earth is not happy um and so I feel like there's a pendulum and I don't know what happens when um when we get to that peak and then come back down um Mm -hmm. I don't know if humans will exist um and the universe is so like incomprehensible like you can't i don't know i don't know i don't really picture much (laughs) (laughs) it's hard to think about it's very hard to think about because you know sometimes this the time scale is just get through this day without ugly crying (laughs) you know like sometimes that's the that's the only time scale that i can think about and uh to think about anything further than that it can be very challenging that's why yeah. I like to ask it. Yeah, I can't picture it right now. I, I do think there, like I said, there's some sort of like pendulum thing. Like, I don't know what that is, but uh, things are not balanced right now. Uh, I don't know if they ever will be. I don't think mm-hmm. that's how the universe works. Um, it would be nice. It would be beautiful. But I don't think, I don't think life would be possible if it was all balanced too stable yeah if it was too stable it wouldn't be fun <laughs> yeah yeah so we've been talking for a little while um yeah. about like two hours this has been great i think we yeah. dug into these topics that are very challenging for uh you to talk about and for a lot of people to hear but i think that they've been very good topics yeah. um and i think that we've covered them in the depth that um, is respectful, but also um, acknowledges that you're still in this process. This is still very squishy and soft. Um, and so at this point, I want to uh, hand you the, the the microphone and address the audience directly, whether it is um, to whoever is listening on the other side of this, um, whether it's somebody who resonates with your story um, mm-hmm. for reasons that are deeply personal or just superficial. They're like, oh, I went to school with her. She's cool, you know, <laughs> or maybe it's somebody who, you know, from those, uh, you know, super secret Facebook groups. Um, or maybe it's just yourself listening to this in 20 years with a couple of grandkids running around. Yeah. Um the speak to the honest directly the floor is yours um i think what i have learned the most recently is um it's incredibly easy to isolate yourself um and when that happens at least for me um 
it really interrupts the process of healing. Um, and although at times it can also allow you to heal because my mantra has been like, feel to heal, um, you guys feel everything and acknowledge it and, um, be able to move forward, uh, or figure out those emotions. You have to feel them and be present with them and also understand like those emotions don't they more speak to what you're going through rather than who you are as a person. Um, any thought and feeling that I could possibly have um, as a mother that had to end her child's life, I have had all those thoughts and feelings and I might sound like I'm pretty at peace with everything, um, but there are moments where I'm not and that's okay. And um, it's okay to go through all of it. And um, the isolation part, I, I just, I think especially with the politics and everything, it's really easy to um, just get more scared and it doesn't have to be scary. And um, it all goes back to that connection thing I've been talking about, um, you know, the more you can connect with people, um, I just feel the easier it can be to find meaning. Um, sometimes there is no meaning, and that's okay. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm saying what I want to say. Um, yeah, I just, just being respectful is really important to yourself. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not doing very well with this one. That's fine. I liked the reason why I date them is so that it is a very discreet notation of like, this is one moment in time. It so is. like we said, it's a very yeah. squishy, still yeah. squishy and new. And uh, maybe in a little while when we check in again, if we check in again, yeah. uh, we'll have a little bit more formed, you know, <laughs> you know, but I get it. I think, I think that the place where you're coming from is like, is appropriate and like right. very much a reflection of where you are right. right now. I just, yeah, I just, I feel so badly for people that feel like they're completely like just thinking about our experience, that feel like they're completely alone in what's happening to them. Um, and yes, it is their experience. No one else is experiencing that exact experience, but there are facets where you can really connect with other people and um, it will help you feel a little calmer and it will help them um, to continue to heal as well. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much, Kip. Yeah, thank you. Thank this you. has been. Oh yeah, you're very welcome. This has been a really great conversation with Caitlin. Like I talk so, way more than you. Oh no, it's fine. That's the whole point. This is I not know. my interview. It's your interview. You're right. It's fine. Uh, so um, yeah, uh, this has been a really great conversation with Caitlin Gray on death. <laughs>